to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. We're going to be looking at Psalm 51 again, just like uh, Tyler covered last week. Psalm 51 has a beautiful um, um, kind of, um, the, the same thing as a DNA structure, um, the, these um, two legs and then kind of a backbone uh, to that, that double helix that, 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 that we see in the DNA uh, makeup. And so that, that's kind of the, 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 the nature of Psalm 51 as well. Um, Tyler and... Uh, uh, Nathan uh, did a great job, Nathan, speaking in Psalm 67 about um, just God's heart for the nations and that we are blessed so much to be a blessing. And then um, Tyler last week sharing about confession, just just um, the, the weightiness of when, when God gets a hold of our heart and makes us aware of sin, that, that we, we want to agree with him. And that's a beautiful picture there. And so those three main um, um, aspects um, of just this conviction and then confession and repentance. They're tied together in this kind of double helix. And we're going to see that later on today. But um, I, I hope last week you were blessed by hearing um, just from Psalm 51. And Tyler did a phenomenal job of um, just bringing out exactly God's intent, um, the heart of God, that, that we should be a people who can recognize our sin, to see our sin, and then to openly just confess that to the Lord, to agree with Him. So confessing is only agreeing. It's saying, God, you know, your holy standard is clear to me, and I've broken that. I've separated myself from you and my sins. I see your holy standard, and I've not lived up that. So the old Romans 3.23, we have all fallen short of the glory of God, living for his high, holy righteousness. And so a great job last week. Um, I hope you're able to listen to that. And so um, as we went through, one of the things that thinking through several months ago uh, for the summer Psalms, um, wanting to have some... Um, intentionality. And one of the problems that, that sometimes in the church that we see, especially in a time when there's so much social media, there's so much news, there's so many loud voices screaming um, in different, different subjects that the church can get distracted. And um, so thinking through, um, as believers, when we stare at and gaze at God and see what God has done, and all that God has provided, specifically in the cross, that he sent his own son, that should produce a certain posture. And what I mean by that is it shouldn't shock us when the world acts like they're acting. It doesn't have to make us angry and to hate them. It should make us go, man, it should humble us to go, man, if not for the God, God's salvation of me, if not for God's work on my life, I would be right there with them. Um, in, in one of those groups, in one of those things. And so what happens is the problem with the world and with the culture is not that sin is so great out there. Um, it, it's not that all this new sin has overtaken the world, that there's these new categories of sin. The problem is when those who have the remedy for sin, who have the remedy for sin, when they are not living in that remedy for sin. They're not living it for themselves, and they're not applying that remedy, which is the gospel, and they're not sharing it with others, right? So if, if 
a, a whole segment of culture had a certain one big type of cancer, and I had the one cure, the one remedy, and I just got frustrated with them because they've got cancer instead of going and showing them what living without cancer looks like. If I kept the remedy and the cure from them, what good is that doing? That's the problem. When those who have the cure, who have the remedy, either isolate or separate or hate and have so much disdain and so much apathy, and so that's why it matters um, on issues of socioeconomic status. If I look down on a person because they, they're not in my class, or I look down on and hate someone because I'm so jealous of everything that they have. Um, it's, it matters when it comes to race and ethnicity. If I look down on a person because of their skin color, when, when that, that's, a, that's a picture of the beautiful creativity of the heart of God. And so to, to, to look at those aspects of, of injustices and to look at those aspects of um, hatred and to look at those aspects of brokenness in, in every situation, we should be a convicted people that have a posture of humility that want to move in with the remedy, that want to move in and live that out. And so your coworkers badmouth you. And you go, of course they would badmouth me. They need more of the gospel. Maybe family members. Uh, we talk uh, all the time about how family members can be some of the worst injuries that we have. Um, and then you have kids, and it, it happens with your kids. And, and we take it so personally, and, and we have the remedy that, that the gospel is the thing that wants to work that out in us. And so um, we have to think through that. And so conviction, uh, I'm sorry, the, I wanted to show along with that idea of when, when everything's broken, what God has provided is Christ and his cross, the gospel. And so looking through our weeks um, up there, um, in response to the work of God, what he's accomplished for us, we want to have a correct heart posture. So that's kind of the layout of the weeks. And so we, we covered that gratefulness and thankfulness in week one. And then Susan brought in hope. Um, and if you don't have hope for change, if there's not a posture of hope, and we're going to see that with a little bit with David today in Psalm 51 also, um, that it's just a miserable place to be. Um, humility. And then confession. Um, conviction. Is what we're looking at today. And then uh, next week, we'll be looking at repentance. And then Andy's going to come with a confidence. And then uh, Justin Shell's going to preach on awe and enjoyment. So we, it should be also a posture of awe and enjoyment. Um, and then renewal and rest. And remember, rest doesn't mean uh, recliners, right? No, no it, it's resting in your heart, always striving to try to pretend or perform for God, um, but to, to rest in what Christ has done. I can't make God love me more. I can't earn more salvation. I can't do more and more and more little lists. So I'm so much better than everyone else. And God, do you notice me? Do you notice me? That's not resting. That's not resting. Even when you blow it really badly, to go and say, can't do anything, God. Longer quiet times, um, longer prayer times, giving more money, going serving a little missions that I can't do anything. I, I'm resting in the work of Christ. So if I do give more, if I do more serving, if I do more quiet time, it's because I get you. You're the reward, not I'm doing these things so I can get you. I already have you. My identity is in you and you embrace me in that. I'm resting in that. And that's hard for us in, in the Western world. And so uh, 
renewal and rest. And then those last couple, um, uh, worship as life. Um, Brad from Mercy View is going to come and, and talking about worship as life. And so, um, and then then the uh, the last one, just a summary of those um, as we get into the fall. Um, and then I think we're planning to get into the book of Philippians after that. So we're going to cover the book of Philippians through the fall. Um, so um, conviction. Um, what do we mean when we say conviction? Or, or that I'm just convicted by my sins. Um, what do we mean when we say that the Holy Ghost is convicting me uh, about a certain sin? Why is this not a regular part of our language and a regular part of just kind of conversations? If you'll notice, sometimes we get into conversations and we may talk about general sin out there. And then we, if we're not careful, we, we kind of defend and justify the reasons why we fall into that. Um, think through this. Um, we try to teach our kids lots of things. So it could be with um, just you know, how to be respectful and, and how to um, obey the first time and to learn obedience in these different matters. It may be that as they get older, hey, you know, we really want our kids to be into music and stuff. And we spend tons of time um, and hours with um, lessons and, and, and study and, and performance and all these things. Or we want our kids to be really good with their finances. So we're going to spend time doing that. We want our kids to be really um, able and, and, and uh, to, to go forward with sports if that's what they want to do. And so we're going to spend all this time and money pursuing those things how much time do we spend just sharing with our kids hey this this week i've been really convicted this week here are some of my thoughts this week i was convicted about this this week i was convicted about this the holy spirit was convicting me you see what we do finances they matter sports they matter our kids education the arts they matter Conviction's not even mentioned. How would we expect them to learn how to live a lifestyle of conviction and confession and repentance if we never show them that? But we're very, very intentional with these other things. And what what they're learning, how we're discipling them, is that here's what's important in life. Your future success, your future finances, your future, your education, your your sports ability, even even your good morals. You better say yes, ma'am, and yes, sir. And out of 100 days, they may never hear, I was really convicted that I was doing this. This week I was doing this, and the Holy Spirit convicted me. So thinking through that, just this, why is that not kind of common language? Um, why do we not have an expectation of this being an ongoing work? Sometimes we just kind of put it out, and, and what that reveals is, I, I got saved back here, and now I'm over here trying to work my tail off to keep, keep salvation and to prove that I'm saved. It, it's works and works and works. And that, that's not an ongoing work of repentance and faith. I, I, I'm, I've sinned again. And Father, I'm confessing that to you, and I, I, I'm convicted by that. I don't want to do that because I see that you're lovely and beautiful and glorious, and I, I don't want to live that way. I want to repent and turn back to you. And so that's what the, the ongoing work is about. Um, are you being convicted of sin regularly? We don't think through these things. How often are you convicted of sin? And that's what we're, the main thing we're looking at this week is hardness of heart and, and a calloused heart. Are you being convicted of sin regularly? How often? What do you experience? Think through this. We really don't think through this second level. What does it feel like? What do, what do I go through cognitively? 
What do I go through emotionally? Sometimes what do I go through relationally? Uh, Jamie and I joke about like um, um, different family situations, and I think both of our family families of origin would have this thing. So if I do something wrong, I slap you in the face, um, and then you have this look like, that, that hurt me. Why did you do that? Our families would tend to probably be like, like, realize I did something wrong, but instead of like, oh, I slapped you in the face, that was wrong. I must ask for a gift. We tend to be like, well, I'm sorry you got offended by that. What's your problem? Like, you know how you go into that defense mode? So you might have that marriage sometimes, so you do, you've done something wrong, and when they kind of let you know you've done something wrong, you go into defense mode or justify it. And so um, why do we, uh, what is it that we feel in our hearts, our thoughts, our feelings during conviction? And, and what's your response? Do you remove yourself quickly because you don't like that feeling? It's a gross feeling. It's a bad feeling. No one likes to feel the shame or the guilt of it. Um, what do you do when you reject this sense of conviction? This is a, a, another level. Do you realize a pattern that you might start on a light level, a little tapping your conscience or the Holy Spirit, um, tapping your shoulder about something, and you, I, I don't like that feeling. Stop it. I didn't do anything wrong. Here, I'm justifying. What do I do to, what's my, my levels of response? And now I'm angry because you brought it up. I'm frustrated because you brought it up. Do you know the levels? And then do you realize what goes on in your heart, your mind, your thoughts, and your volitions, your actions? Uh, sometimes uh, I, I joked, uh, I told you guys, um, our boys, two of our boys had made some decisions at one point in the last, in, oh, uh, the last month or two. And so uh, it was interesting to see their responses when they got in trouble, the consequences, um, just how they, they're, they're like, I'm going to clean up everything. I'm going to do extra laundry. I'm going to do all this stuff. And God was just showing me that, man, that's what you try to do sometimes. When you know you've blown it, you try to do all this extra work. You get real, real busy. You know Why? Because busyness numbs out, and I don't have to think about how guilty I am. And so we'll talk about that at the end. But the point is, I don't think that we actually process through this idea of conviction. Um, it's important to know those things that we do. Do we, we numb out? Do we avoid? What do we do to escape? So uh, the next thing, just on this idea of conviction again, it should produce a brokenness of soul and spirit before God. That's the very first thing. It should produce a brokenness. Um, of your soul. Um, it should produce a desire to confess and agree with God, like Tyler talked about last week. I've sinned against him. Uh, a third, it should produce a desire for repentance and uh, to change course and turn from sin and turn to God. And then the fourth thing is it's a desire for restoration, redemption, spiritual renewal. Now, now everyone in Tulsa wants, wants renewal, wants you know, restoration. Everyone wants um, that, that, that high life of the Christian experience. But we don't know that, that God has a certain path towards it. It's not just, hey, I've done all these things, and we can just act like it didn't happen and overlook it and come in and have five great worship songs and just all that's, that's just, uh, just completely wiped away. That's what we want. We want renewal. We want growth. But God has a certain pathway to growth, and that, that is through conviction through um, repentance and through confession. And then there's renewal. There will not be one person in heaven that gets to be in heaven that has not gone through conviction, repentance, and confession. There will not be one soul in heaven that goes, I, I'm, I'm just, I just don't think I've done anything wrong. Nothing that bad. 
I never did the big sins. I've never done the horrible sins. So God, I think I can stand before you and tell you, I get in. No, we obviously know that that's not going to happen. Um, there's that desire for redemption, spiritual renewal. And, and this should not be a one and done experience. Well, I, mean, I, I got saved uh, back then. And so God knew that I, that I wanted to experience forgiveness. And that hasn't changed. I'll let God know if that ever changes. But God and I are okay. And that is a typical American view of just kind of mainstream evangelicalism is there's not a lot of talk about um, conviction. A lot of talk about repentance. A lot of talk about confession. Um, some people never leave any time for conviction and confession. Um, and the simple idea of conviction is just that you would get to this point where when, when, when there's a temptation that, that hits your mind or your thoughts or something that you see or something that you begin to think on, that, that your mind, your conscience would say, no, the Holy Spirit is going, no, this is wrong. Stop. And we're kind of getting to a place where that kind of language is so authoritative and that kind of language is old-fashioned that, that just a lot of culture says, we don't want that anymore. That's old-fashioned. God didn't know in, in the Bible that, that we were going to progress and evolve as humans where we just don't have those categories of this is okay and this is not okay. And so very clearly um, that, 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 that the conviction is about stop. This is wrong. You should not be doing this. And, and like I said, subtly, that's just disappeared. Um, so this should be a continual ongoing work of the Spirit. It's producing in us a repetitive heart of contrition and brokenness. It's an ongoing state of, of conviction and confession and rep repentance that leads to renewal. It's not staying in this miserable place of, of guilt and shame. That's not God's point. That's not the Bible's point. That's not Jesus' point. Um, some churches may try to do that. Uh, and us talking about these subjects, that's not what the goal is either. Um, it, it leads to renewal. It leads to the embrace of God. And so um, in that, so John the Baptist, uh, Matthew 3, 8, and also Luke 3, 8, um, where he said those words, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what he's saying. If you want to produce fruit in the Christmas life, it's this picture of abiding. And abiding doesn't mean that you will never sin. Uh, God knew that you're still going to sin, and dwelling sin is that powerful. We, we don't like to look at it that way, and that's a huge confusion. How do I have indwelling sin remaining in my heart after I've been saved, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's indwelling me? So I've got indwelling sin, and I've got the Holy Spirit, uh, or Jesus living within me is what people said. And so that, that's very confusing for us. And so it, it's not confusing for God. He knew that we were still going to fall short because that's how dangerous and, and, and dark sin is. Um, so the Holy Spirit is, is the key to this. Um, when we begin to discuss these essential matters, he's the one who brings conviction. So that those aspects that we landed on, um, confession and agreement with God, conviction, uh, repentance, spirit-wrought renewal. It's not renewal because you've done more work. That's not resting in Christ. That, that's not through repentance and, and confession and agreeing with God and, and conviction. It's, uh, I'm having longer quiet times. I, I found a really good book that's helping me grow. That may be true, and, and we should be doing those things. But spirit-wrought renewal is what we need. W would we not say, if you just took a quick glance of the American evangelical system, to go, if there's anything that would change everything, would be for the spirit to fall heavily. 
And what, what, what would that look like? We want rejoicing, right? We want celebration and rejoicing, just these celebrative times. But we, what we don't want is for him to go, hey, I need to talk to you about some things. There are some things that are grievous to the heart of God that you've been fine with for a long time. And I know you want the celebration, but we've got to get serious about sin here. So we want the Holy Spirit to come in revival, but our vision and picture of revival, how many church websites, what's the picture when you pop up the website? It's the picture of the kind of blurry vision of raised hands in worship with the blue or purple or pink kind of stage and kind of blurry silhouettes because life is all about what? Joyous, celebrative worship. And, and, and that's what we want. Are we willing, even a small number like this, the Spirit, would you come and do a work in us? Are we on an individual level willing to take the time and give some space for that? So um, that's his central role in these matters. Um, the next slide shows this. I, I would challenge you to think through these questions. Could you have spiritual renewal without the Spirit working in you first? Could you even have spiritual renewal just on your own without the Spirit working first? Um, could you get to a place of conviction without the Spirit working in you. Now, people might try to say, oh, well, he gives us a conscience. And my conscience is doing that. I would suggest that there's a, a precursor to that, 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 that's the Holy Spirit using, that, that developed that conscience, and that is tapping you on the shoulder with that conscience. That that's the Holy Spirit. And that's a loving thing for him to do that. that that's the little two-year-old toddler running across an, a, a six-lane highway. Is it loving to let him have freedom? Or is it loving to go, no, 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 no. Because I love you, the best place for you is in my arms. Um, could you get to the place of confession, able to agree with God without the Spirit working in you first? What about repentance, wanting to repent, being able to repent without the Spirit working in you first? The Bible says that He knows our thoughts even before we've thought them. And we can't fathom that. We can't even understand that. He knows our evil schemes, whether that's something as tiny as my sister has a really pretty dress, and I'm really jealous of her dress for some little girl, not for me personally, right? And so a seven-year-old girl going, my sister looks beautiful in that dress. I want that dress. What can I do to get that? I'm going to hide that. Our boys are at the stage where um, every boy, <laughs> they love it when one of the other boys is gone. They'll be walking through the house. She's got to be, I'm like, is, is Owen gone? And then they go straight and like, get out of his room. Because next thing you know, there's clothes that are being taken. There's water balls that are being taken. There's all kinds of shoes being taken. Man, when somebody comes in with like a new set of shoes or something, they're like, hmm, when do you work again? Because they're, they're wanting to know, when's that person be gone? So even our little tiny scheming all the way to, man, I'm, I'm going to wreck my marriage. I'm going to steal from this company and plan for months and months and months. And I think that no one's going to notice it. Um, just just crazy things. Um, the Bible says that he knows our thoughts and our scheming thoughts before we even think those thoughts. That, that's unfathomable. He, he's outside of space and time. Um, I was talking with one of the bo our boys this, this week on a specific sin and talking about my concern is, so here's the action. I see this action you're doing. It makes me think about your heart. And then I, I want to ask you, why is that not bothering you? That's a Do you see the danger of doing this action and the heart that says, I'm doing it and I'll justify it and I don't care? 
warrior's conviction. So talking to them about conviction, talking about, do you see what's going on there? Well, we have those conversations all the time, but specifically just, just on this idea, why is there no conviction? Um, also, could you experience renewal, being born again, or then ongoing transformation without the Spirit's work? And the same thing with rest, the same thing with moving on to, to rejoicing and, and, and uh, deeper worship without the Spirit. Um, so I challenge you to think through those things with, with Scripture as your guide, not just, well, I feel like this. I just really feel like um, that's not the guiding force. So when we look at this convicting work of the Spirit, we're about to get into um, Psalm 51. And so there's two areas. First of all, there's the work of the Holy Spirit on non-believers before they're saved. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit on believers after they're saved. So with non-believers, that's this preserving work that we might not even see. But also there's a purifying and justifying work that he does. And then also with believers, there's the purifying, but there's onward sanctification and, and glorification, in the f- glorification in the future. That's when we have our renewed bodies, when we're going to be in heaven for all eternity. That's the glorification. But let's read Psalm 51. Um, there's a breakdown of Psalm 51 um, where, um, like I said, it's kind of like a, a DNA helix. There's three parts, um, the two twisting ladder legs, and then there's a backbone in between those. So you've got elements of, of confession and agreement. As we read through Psalm 51, you've got elements of where that, that, conf- that conviction leads to confession and agreement, and he's speaking back to God. And then you'll see parts where he's turning and saying, God, I want to turn from this and go the other way. So Psalm 51 is a beautiful part of that. And Tyler focused on that first part of that with um, confession and agreement. So let's read. I'm going to read the whole thing, but we're going to focus on verses 8 through 12. So in verse 1, he says, Mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Again, this is a, another thing, uh, original sin. That, that, that um, I remember in college, they just tried to uh, challenge that and challenge that, the idea of original sin. Um, are we, are, is it because of our nature or is it because of nurture that we sin? And we would say it's because we are sinners as we're born. It's because of our nature. Um, no one had to teach you to sin. Uh, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I will give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You will not despise, O God. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, this gift of David's life. We thank you for this history of David's life that you decided to put in your Bible. We thank you for this gift of a picture of what you desire in our inmost hearts, in our, in our, our lives, in our decisions, in our actions, in our affections. We thank you that you showed us that this is a correct posture, a correct heart response. So we pray that you would help us to um, learn and glean wisdom from this. We, we most of all ask that you would do this work, that the Holy Spirit would, would begin to scratch away little areas of hardness or calloused heart. It could be with um, relationships that have gone wrong, that have hurt us, and there's hardness, and there's unforgiveness. It could be a lack of prayer, a lack of seeking you, and there's hardness, and there's a callousness. It could be um, secret sin pockets, sexual immorality, or pride, or greediness, or the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and we've just been hardened, and why not? Because the American way says we deserve more and more and more, and we become calloused and hardened. Would you help us and come and bring these gifts of conviction and then allow us to agree with you and confess to you and then allow repentance to flow that leads to this beautiful renewal, This leads to this beautiful reconnecting with you on a deeper level that leads to transformation and growth to where then we'll be able to rest in Christ and rest in the work that he has done and rejoice greater in you. In your name we pray, amen. So as we look at this, um, this Psalm 51, like I said, has these different areas of going through that. In, in verses 1 and 2, there's, a, there's just a, a very clear request that he goes into. And Tyler covered that, and along with that, that agreement, verses 3 through 6 there. Uh, there's this agreement and confession. And, and, and what, what I loved about Tyler's sermon last week was um, sometimes in, in, in preaching classes or different schools of seminary, um, different guys, professor will try to say the one thing that you have to do, and for 50 years this is really popular, like repetition of a word, repetition, 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 repetition. And so um, like in a song, a psalm if you're trying, or a sermon that you're trying to talk about confession, you would say confession repeatedly, and you would have maybe four points. Um, confession is this. Number two, confession is this. Number three, confession is this. Number four, confession is this. Tyler didn't even use that word of agreeing with God and feeling the weight of agreeing with God in confession, but two or three times, but you felt the weightiness. I wasn't even here, but just even listening to it online, you felt the weightiness, and you felt Tyler feel that also. That's a powerful thing. That's not a choice that we make. That's a beautiful gift from the Spirit. So um, just again, just a great job of going through those verses there, talking about this, this, this weightiness of confession and agreeing with God. In verses 8 through 11 and 12, or 8 through 11 is mainly on conviction, and then 12 is kind of a request again. And remember how we talked about that? Uh, when we started out, I kind of laid out for you in the Psalms, if it helps you to see there's these parts where it's um, a request or it's, a, it's, a, it's asking something of God, um, or, or um, uh, it's a song of uh, petition or asking something of God, but then there's also uh, these times when we're um, saying something declarative about God. And so there's certain things that in response to that, this truth about you, God, here's my response. 
And so um, we'll see that in, in verse 12 there. And then 13 through 17, we're going to spend a little time in, in this looking at repentance the next week. Um, but then in verses 18 through 19, true worship through true sacrifice. Uh, it, what, you may not realize this, but what, what David's praying there is actually pointing to Christ. When he goes there in verses 18 and 19, um, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Well, that doesn't apply to us, does it? What was he, what was he talking about? Do good to Zion, to the people of God, Abraham's um, heritage, Abraham's offspring. He was thinking this people. And what are we? We know we've been grafted in. And so when he's praying there, what's the best thing that you could do for Abraham's offspring? Bring complete salvation. Well, we as Gentiles are grafted into as Abraham's offspring, his true offspring. The church, we are the true Israel, right? Not everyone who is Jewish is going to heaven. They have to believe in the Messiah. That's the stumbling block, right? They don't believe Jesus was the Messiah to this day. And so, but Messianic Jews, Jews who believe in Jesus, they're part of that. Those who would say, no, that Jesus wasn't the Messiah, they're not getting into heaven, right? Do good design in your good pleasure. That would bring you worshiped, and that would be the best for their souls. Um, then will you delight in right sacrifices? Oh, so is it about the sacrificial system? In burnt offerings? In, in the whole burnt offerings? Bulls being offered on your altar? What was that a picture of? Were there any bulls or any blood of goats or any blood of lambs that ever removed one sin? Not at all. So G, uh, David's talking about the future Davidic king, Jesus, who would come and make those sacrifices. Uh, that's what all those sacrifices were pointing to. Not one person was saved through all those blood of bulls and goats and, and lambs. It was everyone that would be saved in the Old Testament would be saved by the future Jesus that David's praying about there. So a, a beautiful request. I just want to throw that in. Um, so as we look at this um, in verse 8, look at verse 8 there. Let me hear joy and gladness. Have you ever come to the place where you realize, I don't even know what happened, but I, I think I've lost enjoyment in things that had always brought me deeper joy. It's a scary place to get to when so you're, you're doing something and it used to bring you joy and now it's no longer bringing you joy uh, and now, now that could be like something like if it's just a, a certain hobby and maybe like, you know, I'm getting older, I can't water ski and uh, do the things that I used to do as easily, uh, go mountain biking at 65 years old, like it just, uh, I might not make it back up. And so um, there's, but this is talking about the, this heaviness of conviction is what he's talking about. Um, I would love to even hear joy and gladness. Um, let me hear that. Um, in, in the darkness of sin and conviction, even the hope of joy and gladness seems so far away. When you're in a place of heavy conviction, it seems like that God is so far away. His presence is so far away, but the idea of joy and gladness can be ripped away. And that's what sin does. Sin takes us much, much further than we thought that we would go on, on a path. We thought it's just like, I know that this is the way that I should be going. And remember what conviction is. You're being tempted and now don't do that. Don't do that. No, don't do that. Stop. And we, we just take one little step off the path. And then another temptation comes. And you've got a, a host of angelic beings that we can't see that are watching your responses. 
whether that's with a screen, whether that's with a television, whether that's with uh, people talking about them, whether that's events, and, and you get hurt by a family member, you get hurt by a family member, and you take another step. You take another step. And guess what? I took four steps, and nothing really happened. So I guess I'm okay. And, and from the line that you're supposed to be on, growing and following Christ, all these little steps that, that you felt that, that feeling, no, you know this is wrong. Stop. No, you know this is wrong. And now you're way over here. And where did joy and gladness go? It's a thing that a new car on this path is not going to bring. It's something that a new person or a new possession or a new lifestyle or impressing people with what you've gained or what you've got. There's no joy in class. He doesn't allow it to fulfill because what? Fulfillment is in walking with him. And so sometimes we get so far out there, and that's what David was showing. Um, that's what we see. He, he's experiencing deep conviction. And notice what he says. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. So does that mean that God is the one who forced him out here? No. You made those choices. You took those steps, and now there's a broken feeling. It's it's an imagery of broken bones, like you're crushed. So there's this weighty crushing of bones, and David's saying, you have brought that part of it. Now, it turns him towards God, though. Do you see God's loving um, uh, pursuit in that? David uses the image there of being one who had his bones broken, but God is not the one who sinned or forced him to sin. But it was David's choices, but then God allowing this, this, this heaviness to fall. Um, and he says, hide your face from my sins. You can, can feel the brokenness there. Um, it leads to feeling so far and separated from God's presence. Um, David feels the glare of God's closeness. Um, have you been doing things before? That, that again, you're, you're kind of just going through life. And here comes this opportunity this little off-ramp, and, and you know it's wrong, and you just take just a little bitty step out of line. And then another temptation similar to it comes, and you take just another step, and another step. And every, every time, you're, you're feeling that tapping on the shoulder, no, this, this is wrong. This is not right. This is wrong. Turn back. And we ignore it, and we harden, and we callous our heart. Um, have you ever got to that point uh, of... of feeling like, man, he's just not letting me know about this. He's not letting me go. He's not letting me go. And there's this scary point that comes to where now you're, you're involved with this and you're not even feeling that too much. And it feels like you won because he's leaving you alone. Well, Romans 1 has a very clear picture of that. And some other places in the New Testament says that, that at some point he may turn you over to those lusts and desires. Um. And so we don't plan on that. We, we, we don't think about getting out here and now just like, I feel so far off and I don't even feel like God's pursuing me now on that. So that's a, that's a desperate place to be. That's a scary place to be. Um, we always think that I can go down this sin path and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to God before it gets too bad. I'll go back to God before it really starts hurting someone else. I'll go back to God before it starts getting destructive. I'll go back to God before it's noticeable. So what we're doing that we're managing sin and we're ignoring the Holy Spirit's conviction. Um, so a scary, scary place to be. Um, 
There can come a place where you've hardened your heart so much that you've calloused your heart um, and you've lost all sensitivity. We're going to look at that a little bit next week, tying into repentance. That, that, that when this conviction comes then, you, you've probably also had this happen, where you were convicted and you felt it. Even, and so here, here's a tricky part, emotions. You feel emotions and sad, and guess what? You keep going into the sin. There's no repentance. You can feel conviction and not turn and repent. And that's a whole other aspect. We'll look at that next week. But um, David says there, would you blot out all my iniquities? David's request is to have a clean slate, to have all his iniquities blotted out and removed. Um, through the, the conviction over this one sin with Bathsheba, a whole legion of other sins are brought up, right? So misleading his men, um, lying, setting up this whole scheme, um, eventually having him killed and murdered, um, all these things that they go through from this one sin, this one temptation that he gives into. Um, he says in verse 10 there, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So what is the end result of conviction? Um, what happens if we have the correct response to the Spirit's um, pursuit in convicting us? And David says there, create in me a clean heart. So we, we, we have this desire um, to respond and for God, for you to forgive my sin, to, to wipe my slate clean, to be clean, to be white as snow, renew the right spirit within me where I'm, I'm back on track with you, God. Um, these requests understand that the connection between conviction and confession and repentance with the desired result of renewal. But it goes even deeper. He says in verse 11, Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit away from me. Now remember, in the Old Testament, they did not have a very clear picture of the Trinitarian picture that we have, right? So when you hear them talking about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God doing something, they didn't have a real clear picture of that. Now, they, they did have a clear picture of many, many gods. So lots of religions had several gods, even thousands of gods or even hundreds and hundreds of thousands of gods. So that was not a, a far stretch for them to go, okay, God the Father, God the Spirit, they had no clue about the Son, right? They're, they're not expecting this at all. They're expecting powerful military leader from God, um, a Messiah who's going to show up and, and devastate and set up an earthly kingdom. And so, um, and this Messiah would bring this type of salvation. So Holy Spirit, he's very clear on this. And so it's a beautiful picture. Now he's, he's close to the heart of God there, so you can see why he would bring that up. Um, but notice this, um, when, um, when we experience conviction, it is, hey, Father, blot out my sins, wipe away my sins. But notice it goes deeper. Do not remove me from your presence. So the actual ultimate end result of conviction is not just forgiveness. Um, the ultimate result and end goal of conviction is not salvation. So think through that. Me being convicted, stop doing this. Stop doing this. I know you're being tempted to go pursue that. Stop. It's not just, oh, okay, forgive my sins. Now we got a zero balance. We're good. Um, it's not even one day you'll be saved. It's not even one day you get to be in heaven. Notice what David brings out here. Do not remove me from your presence. The end result of conviction is not just a zero balance of sins. It's not just a future idea of heaven. The end result of conviction is I get the embrace of God. 
Don't remove me from your presence. Don't, let, don't take the Holy Spirit from me. Remember, Old Testament, they didn't have the Holy Spirit filling them. Like we see in, in, in the book of Acts, and all New Testament believers have the Holy Spirit inside you instead of outside of you, right? And so that's a picture there. So what do we get? It's the same thing with your children. If your children do something really, really bad, or my, my boys have done stuff, I've told you all stories about how you know, I would try to be really, really frustrated, but then I would try to pause and think through. This is a great time to show them grace and mercy. And so at the end, when you're talking to this little one uh, about what they've done, um, is, is it just like, okay, so, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm instead of all these consequences or you getting the spanking or these different things, I'm going to show you mercy. And then you explain what mercy to them is. What's the, the most beautiful thing about that? What do they feel when they experience mercy? They want to just reach up and hug you with little tears coming down their face. So that's the embrace. You, it's a restored relationship with the Father. It's a story in our in parenting. It's a restored relationship with the parent in that situation. Um, so in that, we get a restored relationship. That's what conviction leads to. The whole time that we go through experiencing conviction about stuff, when we're numbing ourselves out or we're getting busy doing all this stuff to try to avoid feeling convicted, we, we're, we're actually distancing ourselves further and further and further from God. And David realized there no. Do not put distance between me and your presence. Don't remove the Holy Spirit from me. I want more of the Holy Spirit. I want more of him convicting me so this won't happen again because the right place for me to be is in your presence. So he is the end all goal of conviction. All those realities, salvation, justification, forgiveness, sanctification, glorification, are works of God to take us to something else. They're, they're, they're works of God to take you to God himself. And so that may help your Christianity to remember that you're being restored to a person, not a system. You're, you're not being restored to a philosophy of religion. You're not being restored to a, a better list or a longer quiet time um, intentionality. You're being restored to a person. Conviction should take you to the loving arms of God. So it leads us back to God himself as our true treasure and joy. Um, in verse 12 there he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Tyler brought that out last week that this is your salvation, God. It's not my salvation. And then he goes into verse uh, the, the second part of verse 12, and uphold me with a willing spirit. We know that um, this work here um, is um, uh, this work that we see. It goes into what Ezekiel 36 and John um, chapter 3 talk about. So I want to go to those verses there. Um, the first thing that we'll see there is, in closing here, is that the um, Ezekiel 36 there, where he says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but it's for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before your eyes. So, so now look at this next section. This is a picture of what God was telling Ezekiel. This is what I'm going to do with the people Israel. And he did do that visibly in the Bible with, with, through the minor prophets after this. But then also this is a picture of what God does in each heart um, individual believer for salvation to take place. So this is the Holy Spirit working his convicting power to bring about salvation or, or to make them justified. So look in verses 25 there. I will sprinkle clean water on you. That's that purifying agent. 
You shall be clean from all of your uncleannesses, talking about sins, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. So that, that's a picture of forgiveness. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. What did David just say? Renew the spirit within me. Cap, uh, a small s, not, not capital S spirit, Holy Spirit. Renew my spirit, my soul. And this says, I'm going to put a new spirit within you. Uh, and that, that's yourself. That's not the Holy Spirit yet. And I will remove the heart of stone. What's that a picture of? This hardened heart. And he said, I'm going to remove this hardened, callous heart, and I'm now going to make you able to obey, able to want to walk with me. After salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and breathes new life, just like a dead person, like with CPR, and he just breathes new life. Now you're going to be able to obey me. Beforehand, you were controlled and under the power of sin. Now you've been saved. I've breathed new life. I've put a new spirit within you. You've been forgiven but now also I'm putting my capital S spirit inside you. I will remove that heart of stone, that's hardening, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, one that's soft and responsive. In verse 27, I will put my capital S spirit within you. So the spirit fills you and then I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Beforehand, we weren't able to do that. The spirit comes and enables you and empowers you. So now I'm a believer I'm being tempted. No, that's wrong. No, that's wrong. I don't want to break that fellowship with you, God. And he enables us and can cause us to obey and follow God. So it's, it's a working of the spirit first and our response to him and a posture of heart. And that, that's working together there. So it's not just you doing it on your own self-will. It's God working inside of us. And that's why I was saying earlier uh, that you should look at, can we do those things? And then in John 3, obviously, um, the, the part about you being born again, I remember the story with Jesus and Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and he said, this man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, because no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and that, 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 the Greek there is this idea of born from above. Um, and that's what he means here when he says, you've got to be born of water, meaning the first birth human birth, but also born from above, born from the Spirit. Um, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water, the first birth, and then of the Spirit from above, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, but that what is born of the Spirit is spirit. You shouldn't be marveling that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit brings about regeneration and salvation and justification where you would stand before God not guilty. Your sins are removed. You are not only not guilty, but you are given the righteousness of Christ. Um, you are not guilty, forgiven, based on the work of Christ, and it's applied to that person. Um, you're only, not only not guilty for all the sins you've committed, you've been purified, but you've also been ruled as righteous. So you standing before God, Him treating you as if you have lived the perfect, holy, righteous life of Christ. And that's just unfathomable. We really can't wrap our minds around it unless and where you're such a prideful Christian that you just think, like, yeah, I'm pretty close. You know? I really, I've, I've told my wife that for years. I'm really close to Jesus and then. So um, 
It's not that sins were overlooked or didn't matter. Sins against a holy, infinite creator God matters incredibly. Every single sin. So something had to suffer for the consequences of sins. Each person, although undeserving and could never earn their way to this position, their wrath for the sins that they deserved was ripped out and poured out on the Lamb of God, on Jesus, the Son of God. So when he goes on the cross, he takes on the sins of the world, uh, the sins of those people who are going to be saved. And so God's wrath is just ripped out on him just repeatedly. And so that whole time, it's the wrath of sins. Something had to take our place on the cross. And it wasn't just a physical part of that. It's a deep spiritual part. The wrath for sins ripped out against holy God. So think of this, holy, perfect Jesus who has stepped up to say, you move aside, Sankey. I will take the wrath for your sins. And so you've got holy God on the cross. And so the sins ripped out on holy God by holy God, the Father and the Spirit, where he's saying, how did it get to this place to where I feel abandoned? It's the, the true abandonment. God could never truly separate the Trinity like that. And like, hey, we are, we're casting off. But that's exactly what Jesus was saying. There's this, this idea of this, this, I'm separate because holiness and sin could not be together. And that, that's, that, there's a depth to that on a spiritual level that we probably even uh, 10,000 years into heaven won't be able to understand. Um, but the beauty of that, the wrath for sins ripped out against holy God by holy God for the sake of me and you. And so that's what the Holy Spirit brings conviction for. Um, so um, as uh, Brad comes up, um, we can uh, begin to think through what that looks like for us as we're as believers then. Um, we're going to look next week at turning from that and now as believers, if that has happened, then, then what does that look like for believers as we're in this process of sanctification? That's the work that God does in um, salvation. And now you've been justified, you're stamped not guilty. But now, as a believer, what does it look like in sanctification to where you're doing this work of, I'm responding in a correct posture of humility of when the Holy Spirit convicts me. And so I pray that if there's some of you guys that um, are struggling with that, I had some things there um, that just to think through, um, the things that we um, distract us from conviction. And one of those is just a hardened, calloused heart. It may be that you're at a place where, um, you, in certain aspects, um, things have become optional for you to not obey. Things that for a long time, it, it's just been okay for you. Um, I've talked to a, a lot of guys who just said they, they, they got so used to um, lusting after things of this world um, that it, why would it shock them that five years later, ten years later, they decided to make this decision? Well, man, when man, they had teenagers or kids that are out of the house now. They're not really so important. There's not someone dependent upon them. And now, man, the wife, they've been married for 25 years, and they, it's been just kind of a slow, slow distancing. So, of course, options of gambling or a, another woman or um, just wanting to just go and live their life in, in, in whatever, of course that happens. Um, hardening and a callousing for a long time. Uh, also, distracted busyness. Like I said, sometimes um, we don't take the time for any kind of soul searching. It, it's not a thing that's usually done. How is the Holy Spirit supposed to transform us if we don't have time for Him? And also just a different value system. We, we do not value transformation. 
We don't want the difficult pain of conviction nor the difficult or deeper heart repentance. Um, We don't put ourselves in places or positions for that to occur. So if that's you this morning, just to take some time, maybe that you're clearly not even understanding where your heart's at. It may be hard to see. um, Is there the chance that there's been some hardening and callousness in different areas? You may go, hey, you know what? I'm still going to give to the church. I show up for attendance. I show up at small group. I'm doing these things. It may be little areas over here where there's just a callousness. And you're justifying it because of these other visible big areas. But your heart is calloused in certain areas. There's certain topics that get brought up in the Christian culture that just fires you up. And it may be because there's some hardening, some callousness there. Let me pray. Father, we... um, Thank you for the loving Holy Spirit. I think that we're confused on what this nebulous-like creature being could look like. Sometimes we probably view it as this force like Star Wars instead of a person, a loving person. Um, we, We can't fathom these things, and yet you've given us enough in your word. You've given us enough in, in your design of us to let us know that he's present, he's in us, that he's wanting to work this beautiful salvation out. So I pray for those who are far off from God. I pray for those who are um, still in their sins that have not ever received the salvation. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would come and they would, for the first time, reject, uh, they would not reject um, the convicting work and that they would get saved, that they would be saved. I pray for those Christians that are um, in, in areas of callousness and hardening that we can be so blind to. I pray that you would allow us to be a people who truly um, do in, in embrace the Holy Spirit, love the Holy Spirit, invite the Holy Spirit to do more and more work in our lives in, in, in a myriad of different ways and different levels. Um, help us not to be callous. Let us experience greater reward of you and let it be for the good of our souls, but let it also spread the gospel to other people um, as we go through that experience. In your name we pray. Amen.